0: Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. Mark chapter 5, verse number 19 says this, Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath compassion on thee. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning we come before you and we are grateful for the compassion that you had for us. I'm grateful for the compassion that you had for me, the long-suffering that you had for me and continually giving me your good news, the gospel, so that I might be saved. I'm sure there are others in the room as they're thinking about their own salvation testimony, that they are also grateful for your compassion and long-suffering toward them. I'm grateful for the individuals that were a part of my life to, uh, to shine the light of the gospel uh, onto my heart so that one day I might be saved. And I pray that we will be able to be that individual for others who are lost that need to be saved. This morning, as we take a look at friendships and uh, the relationship that we have with others, particularly the lost, we pray, first of all, that you will be glorified. And we pray also that you would move in our hearts in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We've been in this series dealing with friendship for quite a while. We've been in here for 10 weeks. We've had a few breaks here and there. We've had a break. Uh, with uh, Mother's Day. We had a break with Father's Day. So we've been in here almost three months and and we've talked a lot about friendships and the importance of friendships because your friends influence you. I heard the quote uh, that, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. The idea is that your friends influence you, therefore who your friends are determines the direction that you will go. And so we need to be careful about who our friends are and, and what does it mean to have a good friend? What does it mean to have a friend that's not a good influence? And how do we become friends of God? We've talked about a number of different characteristics, how we can grow to be more like a God, to be a better friend. We took a look at how to deal with conflicts, because here on earth, we will always have conflicts to deal with. No matter how much that you might love an individual, how much that you might be best friends, you're going to have disagreements. You're going to have conflicts that come up from time to time, and we need to learn how to resolve those kinds of conflicts. And we took a look last week at God's purpose of friendships, that God is being good in his desire to give us friendships. But before we leave the topic, and we've we, we haven't exhausted this topic of friendship. I mean, we could talk about it for a long, long time. Take a look at a number of examples in the Bible, some that I've referenced already. But we cannot leave the topic without thinking about how good friends give their friends good things. They give their friends, in, in this case, the most important thing, which is the gospel. I want you to just think about on a personal level, just putting aside spiritual matters and just on a on a friend-to-friend basis, what is the most important gift or the best gift or the best thing that you've ever given to somebody else? You know, think about what is that gift that you've given to somebody else that, you know, in your life was very meaningful that I am giving this to somebody else or something that I purchased in order to give to somebody else. Uh, I don't know about necessarily the most important thing, but I know the most expensive thing that I've bought and given to somebody it was the engagement ring that I bought for my wife, then my girlfriend to be fiance, and uh, wedding rings are expensive. Amen, <laughs> right? They're not cheap. You know, you have you know the precious metal, you have the stone, you have all of these things. It's expensive, and uh, it's very meaningful. The, what I was going to ask her in terms of marrying me, and so this was a symbol. Of my love and my devotion my commitment of what I'm asking her it's very important it's very significant and so I wanted to do the best that I could and we do things like that for our friends when it comes to their birthdays maybe special anniversaries things like that you want to do something special you want to give something important something that is meaningful to them something that they need and for us as Christians The most important thing that we can give to another person who is lost is the gospel. That's the most important thing. That's the most vital thing that we could give to somebody that we know who is lost. There is no greater gift than you can give to somebody than to give them the gospel, the good news, so that they might know that they can be on their way to heaven. So that they might know that their sins are forgiven, so that they might know that they are not on their way to hell. If you're saved today, aren't you glad that you're not on your way to hell? Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you happy that somebody shared with you the good news so that you didn't have to go to that place? Aren't you glad for that pastor that was in your life that said, let me share with you the gospel because you are a sinner. And if you die in your sin, the wages of sin is death. There is this place called hell, eternal damnation. I don't want you to go there. God doesn't want you to go there. Why don't you be saved? Let me show you the words of the Bible so that you might know how that you could be saved. Aren't you glad for that individual? I grew up going to a church where they would preach the gospel every single sunday morning so many messages presented on the gospel how we're sinners and we need to be saved and and i grew up going to church and i heard that message dozens of times hundreds of times Uh, i was just thinking about this uh you know a while back about i may have heard the gospel a thousand times before i got saved I grew up going to church. As long as I can remember, I was in church. I was going to Sunday school. I went to the youth group. I did all of the things. I went out uh, soul winning on Saturday mornings. We went through this class called Fishers of Men. It was this nine-week course that uh, was taught on a Saturday morning before we went out. This is, you know, how you give the gospel. This is the Romans road. Here are some verses to memorize. These are some questions that come up and how you can answer that all sorts of things on, on how we can go out and, and give the gospel. And as a school person I learned how to lead somebody else to be saved when I myself was lost and every morning I would hear on on Sunday morning I would hear the gospel and I'm so glad that God didn't quit on me he could have said after five years I've given you five years of chances to be saved and you're not getting saved all right I'm moving on as human beings we will find that reasonable As human beings, we will find 10 years. I've given you 10 years of opportunities to be saved. You have not been saved. All right, I'm moving on. But God is not like man. God is not like us. God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants everybody to be saved. If God wants everybody to be saved, the question for us as Christians is, Who do we know that is lost? Who do we know that is lost? Because God wants that person to be saved. Amen? God wants that person to be saved. And being a good friend means giving them the gospel. Amen? Being a good friend means giving them the gospel. Because if your friend is lost and they died today, where would they go? Where would they go? You have the answer. You know where they would go. And you know how they could know that they wouldn't go to that place. See, a sinner who dies in their sins, they die and they go to hell. But they can be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God wants to give your friends eternal life. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes it's scary to tell somebody, hey, did you know you're a sinner? (laughs) Did you know that if you died today that you would be on your way to hell? There are some people that, you know what, I, I don't know if I could do that. You know, some people, they just say what's on their mind. They share They're extroverts. They want to say it. Some people, they're a little more reserved. We're going to see this morning how we're going to see a man who was in bondage, who became free, who became a light. This morning, we're going to see this individual who is in bondage, Jesus freed him And he turned him into a light so that others might hear the gospel and be saved. So I want us to see three gifts that this man got from Jesus that made him become the kind of friend that gave the gospel to his friends. So first of all, we see that he got a new liberty. And we see that you, when you get saved, you get a new liberty as well. Because the world says, if you follow me, you will be free. If you do what I say, then you will be free. You'll get to do whatever you want. Isn't that the temptation of the world? The temptation of the world is that, oh, Jesus just wants to put rules on you. The Bible is all about rules. If you would just ignore the Bible, if you would just ignore God, then you could be free right? Isn't that what the world says? If you could just ignore what God says, and you make up your own mind, you make the decisions, you're the boss. When you're the boss, you're free. That's the proclamation of the world. But the Bible says in 2 Peter 2, verse 19, the exact opposite happens. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome of the same is he brought into bondage. The irony of the world is that they themselves are in bondage. They themselves are not free. And so what the world says is if you do what you want to do then you will be free. That's what the serpent tempted Eve with. If you will do what you want to do then you will be better. You will get to do what you want. Hey, you don't have to listen to God? You don't have to obey God? You don't have to do what the word of God says? You will be free and you will be better and yet we know what happened to Adam and Eve were they better off were they more free no they were less free they were in bondage under sin suffering great consequences and when Jesus saves you you get a new Liberty I want to see what happens to this man We see that, first of all, Jesus saw his condition in verse number 1, Mark chapter 5, verse number 1. It says, and they came over unto the other side of the sea. This is the Sea of Galilee. They were on the west side. They are coming over onto the east side into the country of the Gadarenes. So there's a the city of Gadara, and there's this area, this region called the region of the Gadarenes, that's on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus and his disciples come across the sea in order to reach this area. Verse number two, and when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an arm unclean spirit. We see that here was a man who was in bondage. There was a man with an unclean spirit. What that means is he was demon possessed. What that means is that he was not in control. That's what sin does to you. It removes you of control. Sin is now in control. Here was this man that was in bondage he wanted to be free he wanted to do something different but he was unable and it led him to despair in verse number three who had his dwelling among the tombs and no man could bind him no not with chains because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains and the chains had been plucked asunder by him and the fetters broken in pieces neither could any man tame him It's not like he wanted to be in this condition. It's not like he wanted to be living in the tombs, and yet he was not in control, and he was in great pain every single day. Verse 5, and always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying and cutting himself with stones. You see a man who is in bondage. We see a man who is in pain. We see a man who is suffering. We see a man who had no hope. This is a description of everybody who is lost before salvation. A man who is in bondage, somebody who has no hope, somebody who is not in control. And we see that Jesus saw his condition. Aren't you glad that Jesus saw your condition? Aren't you glad that Jesus saw where you were and he saw your sin and he saw your bondage and he saw your suffering and he saw the condition that you were in? And aren't you glad that Jesus started a conversation with you? that he initiated contact and reached out to you. Verse number three, I'm sorry, verse number six. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshiped him. Now we take this to be kind of coincidental that Jesus just happened to be going across the sea and he just happened to see a man who is demon possessed and he just happened to have this conversation. But we know from the word of God that Jesus, that God is purposeful in everything that he does, amen? He doesn't do things happenstance. It's not like, well, I don't know where I'm going to go. Let's just go over here and see what happens. No, Jesus knew who was on the other side of the sea. Jesus knew there was a man in bondage on the other side of the sea. And Jesus knew that he could do something about it. And Jesus knew that he had to do something about it. And he went over there and he did something about it. Aren't you glad that Jesus did something about it? Aren't you glad Jesus did something about it for you? Aren't you glad that God raised up a missionary to reach uh, other people with the gospel? Aren't you glad for that pastor who is faithful in preaching the word of God? Aren't you glad for that family member who is a Christian and just faithfully giving you the word of God and saying, hey, you know what? You're lost. You need to be saved. Hey, why don't you come to church? Hey, why don't you come to this event that we're having at our church? Hey, you got some kids. You got some, we have a vacation Bible school event. Why don't you bring your kids? Why don't you bring your family? Aren't you glad for that individual that God worked through them? in order to reach you and me with the gospel. Romans chapter five, verse eight says, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, while we were in bondage, Jesus saw where we were and he said, I must do something about it. But not just that Jesus saw us, not just that Jesus understood where we were, but Jesus saved this man in compassion. Jesus freed this man of the demon. He freed him of the bondage. He freed him of the pain. He freed him of all, of, uh, all that was there. Bro, uh, Mark chapter 5, verse number 8. For he said unto him, come out of this man, thou unclean spirit. Verse 13, And forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out. Are you saved today? I want you to think back on the day that you got saved. I want you to think back on the day that you trusted Christ as your Savior. I want you to think back on that time when there's a clear dividing point in your life before salvation and after salvation. I want you to think about How that god saw your condition and god saw your destiny and he said i don't want you to go there and god said i'm going to save this individual you know how jesus chose to save you and me he became a man and he died on the cross for your sins aren't you glad that jesus saved you aren't you glad that jesus died on the cross he was buried and three days later he rose again from the dead What a wonderful truth that you can be saved. Maybe you've got a testimony like me. You've been going to this church a long time. You've been playing the game. You've been been acting like a Christian. You've been seeing kind of what everybody else is doing, and you do what they do, but deep down in your heart, the Holy Spirit is convicting you and saying, there's something that's not right. You can be saved today. Maybe this is your first time hearing the gospel. You could be saved today. Jesus loves the world. Jesus says in John 15, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You know, Jesus wants to be your friend, and he was that friend who put his life down for you and for me. So here is this man. First of all, he was in bondage, and he received the liberty of God. The second gift that we see is that he got a new life. When you get saved, you get a new life. See, notice the change between the old man and the new man. Let's go back to verse number three, Mark chapter five, verse number three. He says, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him. No, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying and cutting himself with stones. This was the old man. This is the way that he used to be. He used to live in the mountains. He used to live in the tombs. He used to be cutting himself. He used to be bound by people who were fearful of him. And he broke the chains. That was his old life. Then Jesus came and he was free. Verse number 15 gives us the new man. Verse 15, and they came to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid." See, Jesus saved this man, and when he was saved, he became a different creature, amen? And when he got saved, he became a new individual. He, all things were passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's what Second Corinthians says. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, old things are passed away and behold all things are become new see when you get saved god changes you see god doesn't just change your uh, destination he doesn't just change your destination from hell to heaven he changes you amen When you get saved, God changes you. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You become a new individual. That's what happened to this man. He was radically different before he got saved and then after he got saved before he was crying out in the tombs and in the mountains now he's seated seated and clothed and in his right mind before everybody was fearful of him now they see oh he's seated he's clothed he's in his right mind everything seems to be much more normal he was radically changed see god changed where he lived he used to live in the tombs he used to live in the mountains He used to live among the dead, but when he got saved, he moved out of there. He moved to a different place. He lived in a different location, and we see that people, when they get saved, they not only have a new home in heaven, it often changes where they live. Now, physically, sometimes it changes where they live, but practically, spiritually speaking, it changes where we live in terms of we now live for God. We live for God. Amen? If you're saved, you don't live for yourself anymore. When when you get saved, you don't live for your career anymore. When you get saved, you don't live for your friends anymore. You live for God. When you get saved, you have a new master, you have a new Lord, you have a new director in your life, and we have a new life that God gives to us. We were dead, and now we are made alive, and when we are saved, we live for him. God changed where he lived. It also changed how he looked. Before, he was naked, running around in the tombs, crying and screaming and yelling, and now he is seated and clothed in his right mind. See, people could tell that he was different. People could see that he was different because of his mannerisms. The Bible says that he was seated, that he was sitting at the feet of Jesus. See, people ought to be able to tell the difference that we're different by what we do. They ought to see the difference that what we do is not what we used to do. Amen? When you get saved, the things you used to do, you don't do them anymore. The places you used to go you don't go there anymore. The things you used to say, you don't say them anymore. Why? Because you've had a great change in your life. And everybody could see that he was different in his mannerisms. They could see that he was different in his modesty. His appearance was changed. He was clothed and in his right mind. And it's true that you can't judge a book by its cover, but it is true that people can immediately notice a change in your appearance. The Bible also says that he was in his right mind. They think differently. He thought differently. Hey, when you become saved, you think differently. You don't think like you used to live. You don't think like the world. You don't think like the devil. You don't think like how everybody else thinks. Your mind is changed. You think differently. You don't think like them. People wonder, hey, you go to church every single Sunday? That's not usual. Well, we're not like them. We think differently, amen? Hey, we think like what God wants us to think and how we ought to think. And we prioritize what the Bible says. And because of his mouth, what he said was drastically different. Luke chapter six says, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good An evil uh, man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is evil, for of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. You know, it's sometimes embarrassing when I catch people who say that they're Christians and they're about to say something that they know they shouldn't say, but they're so used to saying it that sometimes they'll even say it in front of me. And I know that they meant to not say it they catch themselves in the middle and they cut off that word and then they get a little bit nervous and then they you know talk about something else you know it troubles me because it shows me out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh you didn't say that intentionally you said that because it was in your heart you said that because you're used to saying it you say that because you're with your friends you say that because when you're at work you say that when you're in these other places. You're used to saying that, and I think, oh no, I wonder what you're like when you're at work. I wonder what your coworkers think, and I wonder what your coworkers hear. And I worry about things like that because we are called to be a light. Amen? We are called to be different. We are called to be like Christ. And it concerns me when I see Christians who are just saying things like that and doing things like that. And one way they're here at church and another way when they're at work. And I think, don't you know that people need to be saved? And they need to see the difference. That is in our heart. And then I hear others who say, you know what? I was witnessing to my boss. I was witnessing to my coworker. I was witnessing to my neighbor. I was trying to invite them to church. That's wonderful. I think it's a wonderful testimony because God changes people when they get saved. But there's another thing that God changes that really is at the heart of this all when it comes to being different after you get saved. Because it's one thing to put a bunch of rules on people about, well, this is what you should say and this is what you shouldn't say. Here's re- really where it all comes down to it God changes what you love. See, when you get saved, you love new things. When you get saved, you love the Bible. Amen? Amen. Do you love God's Word? Do you love feasting on the word of God and and digging into God's word and and reading it and being strengthened by it and saying, whoa, this is different. Now, some of you may not have the testimony of me, but I grew up going to church and I grew up reading the Bible and I grew up with these reading programs of let's read through the Bible in a year. And as a teenager, I was like, all right, we're going to do this as a youth group. I read through the Bible in a year as a lost person. I was reading through the Bible and reading all of these things and, and it didn't quite fully make sense. I would read the Bible and think, ah, this is boring, but, you know, everybody else is doing it. I guess I got to read it, too. And then I got saved. I got saved on the second day of July. I got saved late at night. I was at teen camp. I got saved about 10, 10.30 at night. I woke up the next morning... I grabbed my Bible, I went out to my car, and I read the proverb of the day. I didn't have a Bible reading schedule with me or anything. I just had a Bible, so I was like, well, all right, I know it's July the 3rd. On the third day of the month, you should read the third proverb of the day. And so I read Proverbs chapter 3. That's the very first verses I read as a saved individual. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1 through 8. I read those first eight verses. I intended on reading the whole chapter, and I couldn't read past the first eight verses. I was like, whoa, this is so good! wow, I got I to lean not on, on my own way. I got to trust in God. I got to follow God. I got to live for God. And I realized, oh, this is what people mean when they say that they read God's word and God talks to them. I realized, oh, God does talk to Christians. The problem was I wasn't a Christian. The problem was I was never saved. And the problem was that I didn't have life. And then I read the Bible and I said, whoa, this is good. This Bible's good stuff. This Bible's wonderful food for me. See, God changed what I loved when I got saved. 1 Peter 2, verse number two, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. You know what little kids want? They want food. When they get born, they want to eat. And they want to eat a lot not just once every once once every while not once a day it's like every hour when they're born they want to eat every hour two hours if they go more than three four hours they're like is my child okay my child's not hungry for food you know the the picture that god gives to us when we get saved is that we are born again we become little infant babies in the eyes of god when we get born And you know what little infant babies want to do? They want to eat. There's that desire that is in a little child. And in the same way as Christians, God puts in us that desire to feast on the word of God. God changes us. God also changes us in terms of our desires and our love for others. Romans chapter 10 says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. See, before, your only intention with your friends might be just to hang out and have a good time. You might go out for a drink and just kind of hang out at the bar and go out to the restaurant and, and, and you know, just kind of have fun and, and let, let it out and let loose on the night. You might, you might have those kinds of intentions when you were saved. But Paul, when he got saved, he said, my whole perspective changed. The one thing that I wanted for my people was that they would be saved. I wasn't interested in just hanging out with my old friends and, and uh, kind of being lifted up in our careers. I just wanted to see people to be saved. God changed the Apostle Paul. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 8 says, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you, not the gospel of God only, but also our own selves, our own souls, because you were dear unto us. You see, when you get saved, you have a new love for the church. Paul loved the church. Paul loved those saved believers. He had poured out his life so that they could hear the gospel. He had poured out his time so that they could grow in the knowledge of the Lord. He loved those people. You see, when you get saved, you love the church. You love the people of the church. You can't stop thinking about them, praying for them. You can't wait on Sunday. I get to see my church again. Do you love your church? Do you love your church like god put that love in you and and you realize that god saved me and i'm part of this family and god put me into this body of believers i love my church now i just can't wait to be with them people say oh you know what you have sunday morning service sunday night service wednesday night service isn't that a lot of services well how often do you text your friends How often do you hang out with your friends? How often do you hang out with people? And you know what? Sunday morning comes and you leave and then you're like, you know what? I can't wait to see my friends again at church. To see the fellow believers. There's a new love that God puts in his people for other people of God. I hope that you have a love for your church. Because that's what God puts into his people. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 16 says, but now they desire a better country that is in heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. You know, another love that God puts into his people is that uh, lost people, they love this world. Saved people, they love the next one. See, lost people love this world, and they love the entertainment of this world, and they love the money of this world, and they love the pleasures of this world. But you know that Christians, more than this world, they love heaven. Christians can't wait to be in heaven. Christians can't wait to be with God again. Christians can't wait until they are reunited with their Savior and with uh, those that are saved as well. There's a new desire that is put into the hearts of people. See, that's what God does for his people. He changes them. He gives them a new liberty. He says, before you were on your way to hell, now you're on your way to heaven. And then God puts in us a new nature. You become a new creature. You say, I have some lost friends of mine. People that I know that need to be saved. How can I become that person that will be able to tell my friends that they need to be saved? Well, for this man, God, first of all, gave him a new liberty. He saved him. And then he gave him a new life. He totally, radically changed him. Thirdly, we see that he got a new leader. He had a new liberty. He had a new life. And then he got a new leader. In verse number 18, it says, And when he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Jesus comes to the shore, meets this devil-possessed man, frees him, and then goes back. Jesus literally went across the sea to reach this individual, and then he went back. And this man said, please, let me go with you. Verse number 19, how be it? Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, go home to thy friends. And tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. He said, please, let me go with you. And Jesus said, no. Go home and tell your friends what I did for you. See, when you have Jesus as your friend, when you get saved, you have a new leader in your life. The Bible says in that he died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. See, Jesus died on the cross so that you could be saved, so that you could follow him. And we see that this man had a new leader in Jesus. And when Jesus is your leader, You have a new attitude of obedience in your relationships. See, the attitude of a lost man is, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? See, that's what Pharaoh said. Remember, Pharaoh was approached by Moses, and Moses said, thus saith the Lord. He said, let my people go. And Pharaoh responded by saying, who is the lord that i should obey his voice see that's the attitude of a lost man a lost man says why should i obey god why should i do what the bible says the attitude of a carnal saved man is similarly why should i obey the voice of god why should i do what god tells me to do why do i have to do that but the attitude of a saved spiritual individual is lord what wilt thou have me to do? Remember when the apostle Paul got saved? Remember he was on the road to Damascus? And he was going to imprison Christians? He was there to persecute Christians? And Jesus met him on the road to Damascus? And Paul's response to him was, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? God, what do you want me to do? That is the new attitude of obedience toward Jesus Christ. Because the old attitude tries to delay. We're going to go back to verse number seven. We're going to go back to this old man attitude before Jesus separated him and freed him from the demon. Verse number seven, and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. So when you read the verse, you just read the verse and say, oh, this is what the demon said, and then this is what Jesus said. But if you read the verse carefully, you'll actually find that chronologically, what was said first was actually verse number eight. So verse number seven says, this is what the demon said. Why did the demon say that? He said it because of what Jesus said in verse number eight. For the demon said this because he said unto him so this is what happened jesus came onto shore the demon saw him and jesus said come out of the man thou unclean spirit and the unclean spirit responded what have i to do with thee, jesus thou son of the most high god so here is jesus commanding the demon come out and the demon responds What have I to do with thee? When Jesus tells you to do something, there's really only one right answer, right? Right? There's really only one right answer. The correct answer is yes. Okay? I have kids. And when I tell my kids to do something, I get all sorts of answers. All right? I tell my kids to do something. The most common answer response I get back is why? (laughs) why? Well, because of this, why? Well, because of that, why? All right, just do what I say, right? You know, that's, that's what I want to do. But the correct answer for the believer is not like, well, why do I have to do that? Why this? Why that? What Jesus says, what Jesus says to us, we ought to respond with yes. Amen? Amen. Right? When God tells us to do something, our response ought to be yes. Yes right? That's the correct answer. The wrong answer is to delay, to stall. And that's what a lot of Christians will do. One day I'll do that. Jesus said, I want you to be a witness. Oh, one day I'll tell them about the gospel. Jesus says, I want you to serve in your local church. One day I'll serve when it's more convenient for me. Jesus said, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. Oh, one day I'll do those things. See, the old man wants to delay. The new man says, yes, sir. The new man says, God, I want to do what you want me to do. See, the old man tries to delay. He tries to stall. Oh, oh, one day I'll do that. The old man tries to disassociate and cried with a loud voice saying, what have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? Remember Peter, when he was following Jesus into the courtroom and was there by the gates and with the other servants. Remember they said, hey, aren't you with Jesus? You remember what he did? He denied it, right? What is the carnal man? He denies this association with Jesus. Sometimes Christians can get called out by the world. Aren't you a Christian? Aren't you supposed to do that? Doesn't the Bible say this? Sometimes the world knows better than the Christian what they ought to be doing we ought to associate ourselves with the lord the old man also tries to make a deal he besought him that he would not send him away out of the country here is the demon he was told come out and he says please don't send me away out of the country now there was nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding and all the devils besought him saying send us into the swine that we may enter into them so the attitude of the demon was, if you do this, then, or if, if I do this, will you do this, right? Will you let me do this? And sometimes there's a bargaining that Christians can have with God. God, if you'll do this for me, then I'll serve you. God, if you give this to me, then I'll do what you want me to do. That's the old man way of thinking. The new man way of thinking is, God, you saved me. God, I'm on my way to heaven. I want to do what you ask me to do. So there's a a new approach also to old relationships. This is really all where this is leading towards because this man was not born demon-possessed. He had friends before, and then he was demon-possessed, and he was basically thrown away out of the country. Jesus said, go home to thy friends. Jesus sent this man to people that he knew. Imagine his friends. His friends knew him when he was a kid. His friends knew him when he was a teenager. His friends knew when he was a young man with great potential. And then he was demon possessed. And then they they didn't know what to do. They wanted to help him, but they didn't know how. They wanted to bind him so that he wouldn't hurt himself or hurt others, and yet they couldn't stop him. And so they just said, all right, we don't even know what to do, just as long as he stays over there. And then he got saved by Jesus. And Jesus says, go home to your friends. And he went home to his friends. Can you imagine what his friends thought? Can you imagine his friends when they saw something's different? And he said, yeah, something's different. Let me tell you what happened to me. See, what happens when you, you and I, when we get saved, what God does is he sends us to our old friends. He sends us to those people that knew us before. You know why? Because it's those people that know how much we've changed. It's these people who knew. I remember when you went out drinking all the time. I remember when you would just make the, the raunchiest jokes. I remember the time when you were the, you were the lead, you know, wicked sinner. I remember those things. And, well, you're different. Well, you're changed. What happened? Oh, let me tell you what happened. Jesus came into my life. Jesus saved me. Jesus had compassion on me. That's what Jesus does. He sends us back to our old friends. But I want you to notice something else. Jesus said, go home to your friends and tell them what great things God had done for you and had compassion on you. But then he has a new aim for opening relationships. Verse 20 says, and he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. So I mentioned earlier that he's in the area of the Gadarenes, there's a city of Gadara. So the Bible doesn't say that he went to Gadara, it says he went to Decapolis. Now, this is where a little geography will help us to understand what this means. So the word Decapolis. Decapolis is not a city. Decapolis is actually a group of cities. So if you know the word decade, the word decade means what? 10 years, right? And the word metropolis means a big city. So when you put kind of those things together, Decapolis, you have 10 cities, all right? So Decapolis is not a city, it's actually a group of cities. We have a map, I believe, all right? So you have over here kind of this pinkish reddish section on the right, that's the area of Decapolis. And you see all those cities in the red? You have these cities. These are the cities that were originally called Decapolis. This is a Roman terminology for these cities. So you have some of these cities. You see up there, right at the very top in the middle, that's the Sea of Galilee. Right next to it is Hippas. Right below that is Gadara. So you have Gadara, That's where this man is from. That's that region. And then you have some of the other cities. You have Abila, you have Pella, you have Dion down at the bottom. You have Philadelphia. There's actually one city up there, Rafana at the top. There's one more city, Damascus. That's actually the 10th city. I think there's only nine here on the map. And so here is this man. He's from Gadara, but the Bible doesn't say that he went to Gadara. It says he went to Decapolis. This means that he didn't just go home to his hometown. He went home to his hometown, and then he did what? He went to the next city over. And he said, all right, I'm from Gadera." We're assuming he's from Gadera. He went to Gadara, and then he said, all right, I've told everybody in Gadera. All right, I've got to tell somebody else. So then he went to Abilah, and he started telling people in Abilah. And then he went down to Dion, and he started telling people in Dion. You know what the Bible makes it very clear is that when you've got good news, you want to share it with somebody and you want to share it with somebody new. See, those that are disciples of Jesus make new friends because they want to share the gospel with them. See, when you go out to the store and you go out to the restaurant, it's not just a chance for somebody to serve you and give you your food or give you your groceries or give you, you know, do the whole pay checkout system. There's an opportunity for a relationship. When you sit down at a restaurant, you got the waiter or waitress coming over to you. That's a chance for a relationship. Your neighbors are chances for relationships. That new coworker that comes into your office, that's a chance for a new relationship that you could share the gospel with them. That's what God desires for us. We've got some old friends. You've got some old friends maybe that knew you before that you got saved and they said, "All right, something's different about this individual." You've got some opportunity to show them. Yeah, this is what happens when you get saved. You need to be saved. You're in your sins and you need to trust Jesus Christ so that you could go to heaven and not go to hell. But then, after you've told your old friends, He said, I gotta find somebody new. You wanna find your neighbor. You wanna find an old, you know, a new coworker. You wanna find a new individual. That's what this man did. Here was a man who just went around spreading the gospel everywhere. How did he become that way? First of all, he got a new liberty. God came into his life, he saved him, and he changed him. And he got a new life, following Jesus doing what Jesus said, having a new desire, having new loves, and in obedience to God, began to share the gospel with others. That's how this friend became the kind of friend who shared with others the gospel.